for the longest time, stuff that was set in Canada was literally only about Canada. Yeah. There wasn't a plot. It was just like, look, we're in Canada, and things are kind of sad for no real reason. But Canada, like, it yeah. was the most boring, awful shit ever. You are now tuned in to drink this podcast. Matt and Paul G. Chatting top quality, you know they always got a free talk policy. Guests speak honestly, no apology. Full spectrum from politics to comedy. Please listen responsibly. A few brew in, chance of animosity. A couple more brew and the crew getting wobbly. No matter this, the park place of podcast monopoly. Drink this podcast. Welcome to Drink This Podcast, where the Edmonton-based podcast where we celebrate good drinks and good conversation. My name is Matt. Sitting with me today, as usual, is Paul. Say hello, Paul. Hello. And also sitting with with us today is uh, our good friend Mia. Say hello, Mia. Hello. Um, it's nice to have you back. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm sorry. It's, it's okay. Uh, we all we all get busy, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and by we all, I mean I think we all did get busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I didn't have like two months worth of banked episodes we would have just gone dark so Mm -hmm. it was handy that we had some stashed up but we are back together um a few reminders before we get into the show proper and uh we're i'm curious to see where today's conversation goes because it's one i'm quite interested in uh if you enjoy this show uh you'd be doing us a huge huge favor by giving us a rate and review on whatever podcatcher you use i know i use overcast and they have a an option to recommend and share even at certain time points which i think is really cool or on itunes or stitcher um you can also check us out at drinkthispod.com where you can check out past episodes as well as screaming doctions new show the alberta craft beer guy cast friend of the show andrew ironmonger sits down with makers and shakers in the alberta beer scene to educate the interested and entertain the entrenched uh, and coming very soon, a, uh, a Simpsons-based podcast hosted by other friend of the show, Chris Connolly, and a rotating uh, rogues gallery of guests. We'll discuss The Simpsons 30 years later, so look for that at drinkthispod.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at all those places we are at drinkthispod. And uh, very quickly, <clears throat> we will say check out the Seen and Heard podcast network at seenandheardyag.com, which is a great collection of Edmonton and soon-to-be uh, Alberta-produced blogs and podcasts for all uh, your local internet needs. Oh, I think I got it all. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a couple things written down for the warm-up chat, and I'm like, one I think I'm going to skip in favor of Joss Whedon, uh, and there's actually been news about this there an update on the story kind of but Joss Whedon has been offered and is going to write and direct a Batgirl movie which I'm not entirely upset about I didn't hear about that oh you didn't know that no oh I spent a lot of time off of Twitter so that's probably not a terrible thing it's really not I've been much happier I believe I hear a lot of people who like delete Twitter off their phone they're like my day gets a little less tense Anyway, so he's going to write and direct Batgirl. Yeah, uh, and okay. that's I guess that's a good idea. I don't hate the guy's mm-hmm. writing. Um, and mm-hmm. he's clearly had success with these kind of characters before. Mm-hmm. Um, but is Joss Whedon taking up space that should be occupied by a woman? Like, yes. is there... N- <laughs> right, moving on. 
Um, like he's I, a good guy. Yeah. Yes. Even is he even a good guy? He may. I'm I've watched some of his television, uh, and it's not always great. No, but no one's always great except Carl Sagan. Um, and I bet he like <laughs> skipped out on at least one parking ticket. According to my uh, partner's dad, he didn't do any real research at JPL, so he wasn't perfect either. But Is Carl Sagan typically considered to be like, <laughs> to love his wife and be nice to puppies? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Really? I've, I've looked into this, yeah. Huh. You did. Anyway, I... Joss Whedon um, has done some real good for genre television. He's made okay. some really entertaining movies. Uh, he's a very, like, witty... Yeah. fun sort of genre guy um there we have had enough stuff written directed perceived generated by white dudes yeah i uh i don't disagree at like, all i, 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 I got like, really like good dude but mm-hmm. eh. yeah and i got i got I'm, like what graded on me was like why like it, it, a lot of people are like great it'll be really, this really interesting female character I'm like how does joss whedon have the corner on the market on writing interesting women oh that's like, the patriarchy because <laughs> like patriarchy. your go-to on strong female characters is a guy mm-hmm. uh yeah i just i don't know i i'm generally of the opinion that like if especially right now like people are yeah people are going to complain that you know it, but like the scale needs to get overbalanced back a little bit, you know. What? Sorry, what's on either end of the scale? Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of years and people oh, okay. uh, of of white male dominance over the cultural and you know, you know. Yeah, just generally the world and everyone else. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. I did hear that uh, Ava DuVernay, I think that's, uh, she's directing the Wrinkle in Time movie, which I'm so excited about. And yeah. she's also going to be directing a buddy cop movie, if I recall. Um, Is this the one that stars Rihanna? Yeah. And, uh, oh, who's the other woman that's supposed to be in it? Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah. Uh, in a buddy cop movie, <laughs> which what? I am endlessly tickled by. I can't wait. It's going to be real good. But yeah. It's- it's yeah. one of those one of those ideas that like it's so good it makes you angry you didn't think of it. Yeah. I got um, if I that's my hallmark for a truly great idea. I wish that yeah, was Yeah, but like in terms of I don't know off the top of my head I don't think a a, a Marvel movie or a DC movie for that matter but um has been helmed by a woman yet? No. I don't think so. Not yet. Um, no. Wait, isn't Wonder yeah. Woman directed by a woman? No. No. I, I thought that so. was supposed to be. I thought it was originally supposed to be directed by Catherine Bigelow. Maybe, but it. That would have been great. Didn't. Yeah, wouldn't it have. Don't know. I am oh. really looking forward to seeing an Israeli woman beating the absolute. Shit Patty fucking me. Jenkins directed Wonder Woman. Really? Yes. Awesome. I stand corrected. Awesome. All right. Cool. I knew I it. Nonetheless, like really though, really though, that's. The, I know that there are a lot of people out there who are like, yeah, Wonder Woman, and even being like, yeah, Gal Gadot, she's really cool, and blah, 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 and 
I didn't see Batman versus Superman. I have no idea what she like. She was apparently the one saving grace of it, but an Israeli <sighs> Jewish woman kicking the absolute shit out of a bunch of Nazis. Yeah. I am there. No, they're not Nazis. They're uh, the. Uh, oh, it's World War One. It's World it? War One. Yeah. Yeah. Which was my favorite decision in, of all the things I know about that movie. It's my favorite decision is that it's not set in World War Two. That would yeah, that's good. I as I was saying pre before we started rolling, mm-hmm. I'm actually pretty done with World War Two yeah. narratives for a while. I I just Kels and I are in the middle of a PBS documentary about the American called like it's called American Experience, and some of them are all right. Like there's definitely interesting stories to- talked about there, uh, but there's a three part series on the first world war the american experience of the great war it was like well they really only fought it for a year so like however um one of the most interesting things i found out or i i I have learned is like there was a whole uh battalion of uh troopers from harlem uh most of the musicians uh and they were sent to sent to france uh and ended up doing a lot of the like menial labor because, you know, America in the early 1900s. Uh, till finally the French got so desperate uh, and these guys so badly wanted to see combat to, like, prove themselves, they sent them to fight with the French. And mm. the French treated them like people. Ah. Like, so they, like it was apparently one of the, like, genesis seeds of the civil rights movement was, like, all these black guys got to go fight with the French. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're, we're good. Which is actually yeah. pretty funny because the French black like Af- uh, North African mm-hmm. soldiers got treated like shit and were promised to be able to move around or get uh, like working permits for the mainland oh, really? or something. They booted them all back to Algeria, which was the seat of the Algerian independence movement. Interesting. In part. More so in World War II than World War One, but uh, the French colonial soldiers got treated okay during the actual fighting and then like shit after the fighting was done. Yeah. Interesting. It's something my dad takes a lot of interest in, and I don't know if I just I feel the need to like try and connect with him. But I was like, maybe I should learn something, uh, stuff about things that he likes. One of my favorite war movies is a world is a is a first world war movie. It's called A Very Long Engagement. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's by the same. Yeah, it. I love it. Um, I'm actually a big fan of non-American directors taking on stuff that Hollywood normally does, like a war movie, because. Mm wow is it ever like it once the sheen once the gloss of like the american dream is off you're just Mm -hmm. like yeah that's a guy getting splattered with actual brains because his friend got blown up by a landmine right next to him Mm -hmm. yep that's how war is yep that's that's what it looks like that's what it looks like and uh yeah Mm. so yeah like i was saying just before we uh and you in fact requested that i yeah um well and uh, i wanted to segue into yeah okay into that so we started talking about this in a roundabout way uh we were before we started rolling we were discussing the uh in canada recently there's been quite the for our international listeners um there's been quite the controversy about uh the editor of right magazine writing an editorial and paul actually has the better handle on the story so i'm going to let him kind of explain it but uh uh, uh, postulating or, th- or theorizing about a, a cultural appropriation <clears throat> prize and like the idea oh. of writing from a perspective or writing characters that aren't your lived experience uh at which he got in some considerable hot water for so why doesn't paul why don't you take it away and it's a little bit less dramatic um than the way that matt has just framed it but yeah uh, like uh, the essentially thing about canadian 
uh, controversy is like it's still Canadian controversy. Yeah. Hey, we're allowed to have our dust ups. Uh, but yeah, anyways, the, anyway, the magazine sorry. in this edition was uh, was right. making an attempt to highlight the work of Indigenous authors mm-hmm. and artists, uh, and the fellow who was the editor in chief was himself a white guy and uh, wrote an editorial tongue in cheek. Uh, trying to draw attention to how hard it can be for particularly indigenous authors to be successful outside of that community. <clears throat> Excuse me. By noting that, uh, by definition, a number of them are going to of these authors are going to have to be writing outside of their immediate lived experience if they're coming from, uh, particularly a First Nations community or or grew up on a reserve in an area where they might have really significantly different quality of life and access to. Uh, uh, technology and education. Um, I mean, it's notorious that a lot of First Nations communities have either no or very poor internet connection, uh, which is now in contravention of a, a declaration by the UN on the internet being a basic human right. Right. Um, and and so by in, uh, as I say, I think unintentionally offensive, but tongue in cheek way, what the the editor was saying is that uh, other other authors, I think, with the input at least implication being this would be primarily white authors should also try to work to write outside of their immediate lived experience so as to try and have a better grasp on um, what those other kind of uh, backgrounds and experiences might be like and also to try and bring greater diversity to their own writing. And I mean, that's somewhat problematic in and of itself, but his suggestion was to have a quote-unquote appropriation prize, uh, which this was really where I think the the guy was trying to be tongue-in-cheek about it. Um, to award the person who can best work outside of their own lived experience. Now, obviously, there's something uh, <clears throat> problematic in saying that it's the responsibility of white guys to bring attention to other minorities. Yeah. But the intention behind that, if, again, perhaps not perfect, was, I think, a lot more positive than uh, the, the attention this came upon, it, which obviously, okay. understandably, but the step where this became, I think, more a part of the discourse in this kind of setting is that a number of people within the publishing world then felt as though this guy's right to freedom of speech was being stepped on f- for him getting attacked by that and then started suggesting that they would fund an appropriation prize. Yeah. And I think they were lacking the context that the original author may have okay. intended on that. Um, and I like original context, <clears throat> sure. Um, does... does does intent matter that much? Like, clearly this didn't go the way he intended it to. And, I mean, yeah, I guess if we're going to take the position that he was trying to be satirical about it, if people don't get your satire, does it matter? Oh, I have a huge thing on this. Well, so, I and I had recently suggested in the group chat that we, on a, on our soon-to-be-returning segment, D- Drink This Pod Watches, that we rewatch Fight Club. Uh, yeah. Even though it kind of breaks the rules because it's a movie we've all seen, but I think I actually it... haven't seen it. Oh, you've never seen oh, it? Okay. No, I don't. Never felt the need to. Okay, I because th- I, I read a Vice article about it that was like visceral about it, but was kind of adopting it for the position of that I've kind of come to see the movie through. Which, what do all these white men have to be angry about? They all have good jobs and they make decent money and they live in nice places. Like, there's nothing to be mad about here. Um. And especially with the context of now and like the mm-hmm. current political climate, like I find it interesting to think about the men who looked at that movie and said, man, Tyler Durden, he's a smart motherfucker. I should yeah. probably try to be more like him. Yeah, it's like when people come up to Mary Heron, the director of American Psycho and go, you know, I try, you know, like I'm such a 
Patrick Bateman, man, and her commentary for that film is amazing because she's just like, why on fucking earth would you want to be like Patrick Bateman? And he had a meltdown over a business card. He's pathetic. Yeah. But they don't get that. But yeah. in terms of whether intent matters for satire. Yes. So I'm about to go to Ottawa to be to do something absolutely terrifying and uh, talk to a bunch of adults about stuff. So, <laughs> Anything will do, really. But, well, so I'm talking to them about a paper I wrote um, about fake news and authenticity. And the, 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 the TLDR version of it is that I <laughs> analyzed two articles, one, by, one, one from Breitbart.com, which was yeah. false, like the content of which was false entirely, yeah. and one from one of the fake CNN art, uh, sites. So something, it was CNN.com.de. And it was right. something that actually fooled someone who should know better that I knew. Um, and it was one of those sites that sort of set up, if you're only looking really quickly, it kind of looks like a foreign, ver you know, like a, yeah. the German, ver you know, the German version of, of, of CNN. CNN. Yeah. It's actually a totally, it's, it's, it's a, a fake news site. So I analyzed this, this website, uh, an article on this website, mm -hmm. and uh, in my research found that it was written by uh, the whole thing was was owned by a guy named Paul Horner, and he was one of four people who was uh, ended up uh, profiled in a couple of different places because he set up a bunch of fake news websites. He claimed that they were satire the whole time, and if you, mm -hmm. he never explicitly says they're satire on the site the way that right. the Onion does. But if you and like if if you're a reasonable person reading into it you start to go oh okay there's a whole bunch of stuff about dolphin fapping down at the very bottom about us <laughs> like like this is clearly not cnn yeah but this. it said but it fooled people and so he claimed it was satire he claimed he was like well i'm i'm, I'm really disturbed by the thought that i could have helped put trump into into power um he also made ten thousand dollars from from Google AdSense oh. revenue. Yeah, I'm sure he feels real bad. Off of off of uh, this fake news site, or this 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 sort of mini network yeah. he had. So, whether or not satire and intent matters might actually be irrelevant in the in the way that death of the author, yeah, you know, author intent might not matter. Not matter. That's why uh, I hate George Lucas, because stop touching my movie. That's mine now. Yeah, you don't own a, it anymore. Oh, that's uh, another episode for uh, sure. But I, I like I understand what you mean about like once you put it out in the world uh, but sorry, let me rephrase that. Once you put it out of the world, are you no longer responsible or is does just not matter what you intended to say? That's a very good question. I think Thank that you. you are responsible in some way. Especially if you are aware the way that Alex Jones has apparently been aware the whole time <laughs> that he's been a performance artist. I love it when they go through custody battles. It's so revealing. Uh, and uh, or or the way that you know uh, Sean Hannity apparently has always been like, oh, you know, I'm very, you know, he's like, oh, it's a shock jock thing. Like, no, I, he's you aware. pointed a gun at somebody, man. Yeah, you're you're aware of if you're aware of what you're doing and you're couching it behind the <clears throat> incredible amount of yeah. privilege that it takes. Cause all of these people are white men and there is mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Um, 
you are responsible for what you have done. Sometimes you can't necessarily always control how it's going to be taken, but and it's a gray area, but yeah, there is yeah. some. So if I can interject then was... about both what you've just spoken of and the, the fake CNN thing, yeah. um, we're talking about intent versus satire. Are you, the way you've described all of this, including Hannity and Jones, um, would at least imply that they knew what they were doing and did it anyways. That doesn't inherently necessarily make it satire. If the guy no. wanted to, if he made 10 grand off of it by making it look like CNN, but having some little thing at the very bottom, you'd have to go looking, almost looking for, would that not then imply that that's not, he's not intending to be satirical. He's intending to be deceptive. deceptive. It just happens yep. that he's set up in it. So if we're going back to the original question, yeah, he then claims it's satire. So far as I'm concerned, intent is very important because it, what we've all been talking about uh, again, there's at least uh, the implication that there is an intention to be deceptive and not mm -hmm. to be satirical for the sake of calling attention to something. Um, so I don't, I don't disagree with anything that you guys have just said, but if we're going back to the base question, I think intention is very important, whether or not, uh, not necessarily important in how it was received, but certainly in how it was intended. Because if yeah. I'm trying to draw attention to social inequity by being satirical about it and tone deaf people who think I'm being serious, then jump to my defense is that the same thing as intentionally trying to draw attention away from the people whom I'm trying to theoretically promote with the intention of bringing attention back to myself? Because yeah. I feel like those are very distinct situations. No, you're right. Uh, did you ever read uh, the... Did you know diplomatics at all after the course of your degree? No, no. I've never heard of it. Okay. Uh, anyway, the fake CNN article was more authentic as a record by uh, Luciana Durante's metrics than the Breitbart article one was interesting because hmm. the because Breitbart hides everything behind a proxy mm -hmm. so I really? couldn't tell yeah like their who is look up information like they're, they're they have no transparency whatsoever right of course not so anyway because... fun fact <laughs> Breitbart not so transparent um no. does anybody remember Andrew Breitbart like is that mm -hmm. a thing that we've all forgotten collectively well, yes Collectively, yes. I had oh. no... I, Again, it's like another really cranky white guy that other white guys would be like, he's actually very bold. He's Andrew calling Breitbart, out shit. And like, he was one of the, like, the so... true conservative types, yeah. as they would frame it now. Uh, but I, I think there is certainly an argument to be made that I, I've come across from people who were his supporters that hmm. Breitbart today is not... That he would be appalled by what... That, sure, I don't really yeah. care, because... He was an angry old yeah. white conservative dude. One of but... the last things he ever did before he what dropped dead of a heart attack. Yeah, I think so. Uh, was the the last thing I remember because it was it was very jarring. Like he was in the street screaming at protesters, like and he was calling them fascists. Uh, I want to say they oh, might have uh -huh. been be. Uh, I want to say there were Black Lives Matter protesters, but that might have been. They would have been Black Occupy. Ah, yeah, you're right. Was. It was Occupy. Uh, yeah, yeah, calling the Occupy's guys fascists, and the next day, like within God, that's, days, that's he died, cute. and that like that was it. He kind of fell off the face of the earth. His legacy lived on, but he really fell off the face oh. of the earth. Um, but I would say he's responsible for everything that Breitbart has become. I know very little about him beyond that, but I've I've heard people who were early supporters and uh, people involved with that mm. network say that he would not like what it's he, become. But I don't yeah. know. Who knows? But fun. He's like Ezra, or he was like Ezra. Oh, That's God. what I always remember him being like. He's Ezra oh. was Canadian Breitbart. 
Um, speaking of Canadians, I want I don't want. I don't. I don't really. Now that I'm like low key, hippie religious, I don't. I try very hard not to wish violence upon anyone. I right. really want to kick Ezra in the nuts. Um, he's he was the subject of my absolute favorite Beaverton article about like Beaverton launches probe to find out why Ezra Levant is such a fuckface. Yeah, and that was like the headline because he is he's a fuck face <laughs> like it was eviscerating like they yeah. roasted his flesh was, you're the last you're you're what this country needs good for you uh if you can if you google it right now we'll totally wait you can hit pause and we'll wait as long as yeah, you want for, read for that fucking the beaverton is canadian onion basically yeah and it's it's something else. I want to meet the people that I want to meet writers for that website because, like, the television show I find to be garbage, uh, but the written, like, the written website is fucking hilarious. Um, and I think they're really uh, part of the face of New Canadiana. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's talk a little bit about old Canadiana. And this is like really old news in the tradition of being super fucking late to every single party. Um, like in two weeks, I'm going to make a joke about Bill O'Reilly. So like you look out for that. Um, I'm going to preface all this by saying that if you're not interested in the topic of Canadian pop culture, this may not yeah, be, this the isn't gonna be for you. So on the radio here in Canada for our international listeners, um, used to be a show called the vinyl cafe, which I believe started out as books. Like weren't they originally written stories? No, I think it went the other way around. You know, it was a radio show first and he started writing, writing stories books about afterwards. the two whose names is uh, Dave and Morley. So yeah, like it all did. it's, it, and it's like, there's, it's so weird how there's a direct Canadian correlation. Like the vinyl cafe mm. stories were essentially our version of, uh, Lake Wobegon. Uh, sure. Which is a Garrison Keillor stories, right? Like they're just, they're stories uh, about, Sure. kind of midwestern america and yeah. in like a simpler time or whatever in like varyingly vague time periods uh and just like a town where not much happens or if you think about yeah. it like canadian no one um, has cell phones and it's when wacky shenanigans occur that are yeah. family friendly for everyone it's it's the kind of stories that welcome to night vale are spoofing yeah um so yeah. if you're a fan of that show it's like it's like when dad describes watching serious bbc news having grown up on python he can't help but find it a little bit funny like if you grew if you grew up on night vale and then picked up the vinyl cafe you would find it like weirdly funny because I mean, it it's so it was also funny well they are funny but like i think i feel like you would find it like yeah you would read it well, the way like, you would read the satire yeah, like the thing about the thing about Stuart McLean is that he so he had the show on the CBC, which was our national Canadian mm -hmm. broadcasting network. It is publicly funded. Uh, yeah. Unless Brad Trost becomes prime minister, which he oh, won't, there's a few of them who could become prime minister. Bernie would dump that like, in a heartbeat. He oh, easily. The shit out. Anyway, um, but he told these incredibly. They were very funny. I saw him live uh -huh. once. Um, very very funny, but always very sweet. Very very family friendly com totally. comedy stories. Um, slice of life things and it was it was a very very good example of like the old guard Canadiana mm. it feels very Canadiana yeah and it feels very much like the last the last remnant of what C of what old CBC was where like 
yeah. I, I guess you could still point to as it happens, but everything like CBC has gone undergone a lot of change even in the past like 20 years. Well, I was just going to say when I was young, I remember listening to a lot more in the way of like radio plays and mm-hmm. the old uh, Royal Canadian Air Force and it's mm-hmm. like first season before it went off the air. What was the, there was yeah. another political satire show where they would do impressions. This hour is 22 minutes. No. Um, radio or TV? Radio. It was on the radio. It was on TV for a little bit. And I think it was a husband and wife team. And they did like pitch perfect impressions. I was t- uh, double exposure. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they, they, that's the way CB. And now CBC is a lot like, is a lot more like NPR. Like there's a lot of like magazine style shows. Yeah. Um, there's a lot that's of. a very like, good way of putting it, actually. Magazine style? No, uh, CBC is kind of like NPR. It is. It's gotten a lot like, yeah. but like moderately less political. Um, yeah. Um, like the, they, they do a lot more like hard news politics, but uh, also give the national to Rosemary Barton. I know you're fucking listening to me. Give her that show. She deserves it. Uh, anyway. Um, so, uh, if I may, there is yeah. another, there is another uh, element to this. So um, if I, yeah, in, in my radio capacity I fit and also after having written a lot of essays I feel need to jump back and uh so the thing about Canada that I think uh people don't necessarily get is yeah. uh one one we have a tenth of the population of the of, of the US. Mm-hmm. We have as many people we have we have thirty three million people. Mm-hmm. We have the I same mean, population are... as the state of California. Yes. Yes. We um so uh Two, we, so, so growing up in America's shadow, as it were, like we, you know, absorb a huge amount mm-hmm. of American media. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have a pretty good grasp on a lot of American history just purely by osmosis. Yeah. We all. Um, um, it's, uh, it, it sometimes feels like it struggles to develop an identity of our own. This is yeah. something that's probably more relevant to our generation than it would be to the ones coming afterwards. But I remember as a child, there yeah. was often that sort of sense that Canada, Canadian yeah. identity was defined as being neither Canadian nor British, but something in between mm-hmm. the two and trying not to yeah. be either. We struggled <laughs> for a really, really long time to define. I remember being assigned in grade 10 social studies. I had to write a three sentence paragraph on what made Canada unique from everyone else. And I couldn't do it, and I failed my first attempt. Really? And I and we're not that on, old. I eventually settled on we've never actively declared war on anyone without without it being like a condition of yeah. like following England into war. Because we're we've part of the never problem. been the aggressor. We've never been war. the aggressor. Um, that's a really but, good, that's a really awesome thing to latch on to. <laughs> but but yeah, so Canada has really struggled with its own sense of identity, and so in the twentieth century, especially as mass media kind of exploded, yep. we were like, we should probably start trying to reflect canadian identity that mm-hmm. we're not sure about and we had because we're super nice we had a huge inferiority complex about as well like i yep. can't i can't overstate well that the would amount be of inferiority complex we have would, doing something like that would be braggadocious um but so that we have something called the um canadian radio television and telecommunications commission or the crtc crtc so in 1968, it was established, um, which was it was charged with enforcing the Broadcasting Act of Canada, which declared right. that each element of the Canadian broadcasting system shall contribute an appropriate manner, in an appropriate manner, to the creation and presentation of Canadian programming, 
and each broadcasting undertaking shall make maximum use and in no case less than predominant use of Canadian creative and other resources uh, in the creative in the creation and presentation of programming. So what this says in normal language is yes. CanCon, what we call Canadian content. So for the longest time, 35% of anything, radio, uh, and I know this because I do radio, so radio, mm -hmm. TV, uh, not movies, but anything no. that goes out over like public programming yeah. has to be Canadian-centric. Oh. Uh, um, and so for the 20th, and, and so for most of the 20th century, when, when CanCon really got kicked into gear, which was like not in, like it, it really, really started to kick into high gear in the 80s and 90s, mm -hmm. um, was when CanCon really started to, to ramp up. Um, and we were like, what the fuck do we do? We produce Shania Twain? And the tragically hip, and the and guest who on the outside, Rush, and Rush. Oh, yeah. I I would Can't actually say that I, I think that a big part of uh, why so many American shows are filmed in Toronto and Vancouver is probably related to that too. Oh, yeah, well, that's com well, it's competition. It's a lot cheaper, but it's also there. There's really well developed uh, bases there, and there's competition between the Canadian and U.S. government. So it was a big deal. I forget what show it was, but some genre show very recently for its third or fourth season is moving down to L.A. Um, and there was a whole interview I don't know, about two months ago on the Globe and Mail with one of the people involved in this uh, because the state of California offered them enough incentives to make it cheaper to film it in L.A. Yeah. And then, of course, there's also justification of that's where all the studios are based and blah, blah, blah. But there's sometimes been a trend of that where, like, Vancouver and, and L.A. are the big uh, competitors because Vancouver can often do it cheaper, but obviously American shows and networks want to try and bring the, the shows in as locally mm -hmm. and all that as they can. And mm -hmm. the Canadian and B.C. government obviously would not. I forget what show it was. You guys are probably no more than I am. But... I don't. Um, and I... I, I live in Vancouver now, so there's like I, I want to say like the Flash or something, but oh well, yeah, sure, all the CW maybe. stuff is shot up there. Supergirl yeah. shot there, I, the Flash is shot there. It was there. a it was a Arrow show that I didn't there. watch. Uh, that was the the thing that I remember. Um, yeah, CW does a lot of work in Vancouver. Well, then they used to shoot the X Files up there too. Yeah, well, they also moved down to LA. Although that was because um, well, and this so. like uh, this is something Jay uh, Jay Baruchel talks about uh, about how like there's a shitload of movies that are being shot here, but no movies that are being set here. Yeah. Uh, which is why Goon and uh, Goon 2 are both explicitly set in Canada. Like, they use Canadian money. Everything is very obviously Canadian. Like, uh, and I'll link to it. Uh, there's He did an interview with Peter Mansridge in which he kind of lamented the lack of Canadian-based film. Like, yeah, it's great that we're making movies here, but why can't we make movies about us? Um, which is, like, in part what inspired me to want to have this conversation. And he talks about a Dave Foley movie called The Wrong Man, which is so obviously set in Canada, but he's got American money, and there's Ohio license plates. And Well, uh, for anyone who's ever actually been to Vancouver, if we're going back to the X-Files, there's numerous... There was an episode in season three or four where there's a guy being hung off a balcony that's supposed to be in Washington, D.C., and you can see the ocean and the mountains <laughs> and the... The like visibly Vancouver glass skyscrapers. I'm going like, or yeah. there was one where they were supposed to be in a field in the Midwest, and they were so obviously in New Westminster. Yeah. And I'm like, I I can I've driven down that highway. I can see Vancouver. 
Yeah, uh, well, and like Supernatural season, part of season seven took place in Purgatory, which was just, they drove out into the middle of like... Hope? They drove down towards yeah, Hope? Yeah, they drove to where there were a bunch of trees in the Pacific I've, Northwest and wandered I've, around the trees for a while. I've stayed and you're a like, night uh-huh. in a... Sh- I stayed a night in a shitty motel in Hope. I can tell you that it's probably a lot like Purgatory. <laughs> it's better than Red Deer. Um, it's prettier. So, uh, yeah. So, That's so true. For, uh, for, so the, uh, sort of the genesis of this, the subject of this episode is um, that uh, I know Paul specifically uh, is a huge fan of the hip. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, Matt, you obviously felt like a very, very big uh, divide. I felt I guess. a loss. I a felt loss. there was an absence the, in our uh, you know, the, cultural the mosaic. Yeah, so there, you know, the death of Stuart McLean um, mm-hmm. left sort of a, a gap there, and and uh, the fact, you know, the 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 lead singer, his lead yeah, singer, the hip, singer? yeah, yeah, the hip, uh, has uh, terminal, if I understand, yeah, brain terminal cancer. brain cancer. Um, um, I so would also very very last show. I, I would also note that, uh, as we've spoken about a bit before, Leonard Cohen died last year. And while he was of an earlier Leonard, generation, yeah. uh, that's well, yeah. another towering figure in Canadiana. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the so old guard is definitely on starting to, on its way out, exactly. Uh, and, and I am, and, and, and my response to, to all of these things uh, was empathy for the people who had felt something and, you know, felt lost, but none of those guys like all of those kind of rolled off my back even Stuart McLean that I I had once enjoyed um because as far as I'm concerned uh we're actually in a I mean insofar as the Canadian or uh, the music industry in general has collapsed but we're kind of in a golden age of Canadian music for sure Mm -hmm. spearheaded by the internet um where and you would be considerably more plugged into this than Paul or I like music is not my scene so yeah. it would be something i would know less about but music but, very is much mine but i i don't really listen to like indie or or like pop rock and i feel like that's maybe more of what that is because i mm-hmm. i don't know of any like that's actually news to me and i i follow music pretty closely well and so, this is i mean somewhat my opinion and it was partly i guess a, a perception thing but i remember going from uh even grade nine or which would have been 2001, 2002. Something like that. Uh, Where it was like, okay, name Canadian content. And you're just like, fucking Nickelback. Brian Adams. Brian Adams, Shania Twain, Treble Charger for my... (laughs) Some 41. For us, some 41. Like, there were a couple of pop punk bands. Uh, Billy Talent. Billy Talent. But it was just like not. This is a fun game. Avril Lavigne, but ah. like it was painful and corny. And like I remember coming across Douglas Copeland's books, and for the first time ever, actually enjoying a Canadian author because he didn't. And this is actually very interesting. You talking about like things that are set in Canada for the longest time, stuff that was set in Canada was literally only about Canada. Yeah. There wasn't a plot. It was just like, look, we're in Canada and things are kind of sad for no real reason. But Canada, like it yeah. was the most boring, awful shit ever. And also Timothy Finley existed and he wrote the wars and it, um, 
And then Douglas, and you know, and then I read Douglas Copeland, who wrote all sorts of wacky bullshit that happened to take place in Canada. Yeah. With like magic AIDS curing people and and uh, I feel like that's sometimes all I really need is like just it it, it could be set anywhere. Why not Vancouver? Right? Like Canada, but don't make it don't crush your your yeah characters under the weight of their Canadian identity. So that was the first thing. But then also, like, I started to, you know, listen to people like Metric and Stars and the New Pornographers. and the New Pornographers. And, and it just band. kind of blew up. And, mm-hmm. like, all of a sudden, I have I have never had a problem fulfilling my CanCon duties with stuff that I really like. like. So um, so you, you definitely see this as, like, a one generation passing, but there's a torch or there's a yeah. next step right um yeah i I actually and so you know my my feeling on this is that like it is sad it is you know uh Mm -hmm. the the loss of of these giants is significant however um one this next generation is not as self uh like not as self-conscious about it like yeah canadian we also make good music yeah uh it helps that we do And, like, I find it interesting that music is what you gravitate to. Because, like, what the things that I wrote down that I see as, like, the next step is stuff like... And some of it's on CBC. Like, this is that. I think this is that is fucking hilarious next generation Canadian cop. This is that is, like, um, it's a lot like The Onion. I don't know if you've ever listened to it, Paul. So, it's one of those... Like, it's very much making fun of As It Happens. And, like, the human interest story. So the one I always point to is Dougie the Human GPS, who was, like, from this little eastern town, and he would ride around with you and tell and direct you where to go. Like, he knew how to get places, so he would, like, take you to the mall. And then, like, people started getting real GPS, and it was, like, cutting into his business, and that's not good for Dougie. <laughs> There's this great audio clip of him, like, wrecking up the GPS store and getting all angry. Uh, but, it like, it feels like... It feels like a modernized version of SCTV or that style of comedy that's very, like, again, about Canada, about places that are here. Uh, Mm -hmm. But definitely for somebody of the next generation. I also wrote down the Beaverton, which is kind of the same thing. And we already, like, we already talked about how awesome the Beaverton are. Yeah, I mean, I gravitate to music because I'm a music person, and mm-hmm. I do radio, uh, and I do radio, I do pub, I do college radio in Canada, so I, I know a lot about bands that no one else will ever yeah. know about. Right. Um, Who, if it wasn't for stations like you, would never see airtime. Yeah. Um, and and the thing about uh, CanCon is that really, like, the internet for all that it really did destroy the music industry. Like, I have. You know, I, I have no qualms about the fact that, like, it is it is much more difficult to make money off of the music you have mm-hmm. created now because directly because of the Internet. However, yeah. it is also an excellent dissemination platform, and it allowed all of these bands to just explode and go. Um, and then we had, you know, people like Tegan and Sarah who are from Calgary. They went to the same high school that I went to. Are you serious? Yeah. And you went to Western Canadian? Doctors. I did. Huh. Um, I'm one of those kids. Ah. I used to walk by your school and be like, kids yeah, that go to school in the city. Asshole. Yeah. Weirdos. Those fucking, yeah. Those, those high achieving 
Anyway, um, <laughs> high achieving. Weird. I went to school in a weird like version of Glee as viewed through Hermione Granger while she's having a panic attack. So, I guess uh, Paul. <laughs> Paul, let's. Um, what about you? What is it like? Is there something in the new generation that you feel you can, you can move on with? Is there some? Is there well, a place that you feel there's a hole? I don't. I, I'm. I'd actually like to go back a half a step. I. I don't actually agree with Mia's assessment that there was that hole because the more you're talking about things, the more that I'm being reminded of stuff that came out of the '80s and the '90s and the early aughts that were at least significant at the time. And it makes me wonder uh, if this really is just a, a genre interest thing, because you're specifically talking about Canadian authors and wars. Yes. But Timothy Finley uh, did have, like he was a big deal about other stuff, but ignoring oh, yeah, that. No, I, I, I like was a huge fan of Timothy Finley. Okay. I just, so I, I frustrated with the wars. <laughs> I, I would particularly draw attention to, I think, three authors. One of them was going to be Timothy Finley, but the others being Michael Ondaatje and Margaret Atwood, mm-hmm. who achieved a great deal of success, owning a very proudly Canadian identity mm-hmm. uh, internationally. And in particular, uh, like Atwood was quite well-renowned in the States, and Ondaatje uh, was, I mean, Coming Through Slaughter came out in, like, 76, and he achieved a great deal of renown in like modernist author circles um, throughout mm-hmm. the 80s and the 90s. And uh, if we come into the 1990s, I start to think of, I guess, sort of transitionary periods. Um, I, I can't recall. I think it was on the air. I spoke about Royal Canadian Air Force, which was a sketch comedy show uh, that started off on the CBC on the radio and ended up having like a 12-year run on the CBC on TV. But there was a comedian named Dave Broadfoot uh, who was on the original incarnation of Royal Canadian Air Force I and would make appearances. And so there was a transitionary thing where the people that became renowned for Air Force were the ones from the TV show, but they and they were the ones on the air mm-hmm. when they, they got the show. But he there was died a, not that long ago, did Which he? is why I'm thinking of this. There was uh, a whole generation of Air Force that was with this guy, and he crossed over and would make frequent appearances as a ridiculous Mountie mm-hmm. and Dave Broadfoot, the MLA from Kicking Horse Pass, which doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> <laughs> the joke that would be only funny if you were familiar with Alberta and BC since it was set in the Rockies on the border. But um, I can vouch that that joke's fucking hilarious. <laughs> so there was this crossover, and literally there was the crossover with people like Atwood and Ondaatje through the, that were big in the 80s, but also uh, continued being renowned into the 90s mm. and the aughts around the same time that there was sort of that launch of a new generation of, at least from what I read, very literary. Uh, Canadian authors, and I'm thinking here of people like Thomas King or Michael Crummy uh, or Edith Robinson, who started their, got their start during the mid to late 90s and then became very significant. Mm-hmm. Um, and even musically, uh, what popped into my head while you were talking about um, uh, like metric and, and bands mm-hmm. like that is Devin Townsend. Nice. Yeah, and so there's he was in the 90s right i can't believe and i didn't think of that there was a whole range for those not familiar he was a, a math core guy but like there have been uh, what's so, the name of his band uh, strapping on lad there and also i'm um, going back and in, even into the 80s again skinny puppy came out of vancouver yeah. and they were huge and industrial so um part of what interested me about the idea of this topic when i was kind of conceiving of it was that there were i feel like we're in the midst of one of these generational handovers where there are still people deride them or love them but Nickelback were big in the late 90s and early aughts and they are still relatively well known now but there's also 
people that are coming out of that scene who are very influenced by them that are still big in, in people that listen to that or those that were influenced by industrial uh uh, Skinny Puppy went mm-hmm. on to influence industrial metal bands. They were yeah. a stated influence on Nine Inch Nails. Yep, uh, uh, Manson as well. Yeah. So any and then anybody that's been influenced in a generation since then. And so I, I don't know that it's necessarily uh, either a that Canadians have been afraid to own what we're doing and and be proudly Canadian about it, and or b um, that there are these really there there have been periods of desolation where there's kind of new things coming about. I I think that it's more that Canadians have always been so wrapped up in that idea of who are we that's not American or British that we get really wrapped up on uh, that sense that we're not owning the Canadian-ness because again, like bands like Skinny Puppy or Devin Townsend or Mm -hmm. they've never not, uh, they've never tried to hide the fact they're Canadian. Ditto for Rush. Rush is huge in other countries. Um, Except for America. And well, even in America on the right circles, right? But, like, you, they I, will never sell at an arena the way they do in Rio. No, but that doesn't mean that there isn't, like, generations no, it, of... That's like saying that King Crimson wouldn't sell out a, a stadium in the States like they would in... I just... Like, I, I always was under the impression that Rush was a huge phenomenon in other places except America. Like, America was the one place that didn't really catch Rush. I think either. if you go and ask a metal fan or, like, somebody right. of, I, of the right age... <laughs> what did you and I watch the other day? The year sixty nine, sixty nine. That's like Rush parody. It's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there 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 have been those kind of rounds of exports, and I I think that where some of this kind of gets tied up is in a very particular subset of people dying off, which is what I was thinking of, which is um, more the era that spawned Air Farce on TV, yeah. where we had that, we had This Hour is 22 Minutes. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit later on, we had Corner Gas. We had The Tragically Hit become really big. We had Rick Mercer's first sitcom, which nobody's ever seen but me, apparently. Oh, but, Made in Canada? Yeah, which was just rooted in Canadian. I've never, started, ever even heard of it. it oh. We'll talk about this off air, yeah. but uh, again, it was basically a, a parody of Mercer's experiences at Salter Street Productions. And it was a really cutting satire of the Canadian um, recording and, and broadcasting mm-hmm. industry. Uh, there was a particularly memorable episode where they recorded a, a docudrama about the War of 1812. And because it wasn't testing well with American audiences, they changed the British uniforms to tan and teal and had the Americans win. I want to... I'm really glad that we've all kind of hit on different angles of this right? i was just like gonna say that can lit and there's a particular era that i felt like was ending with gord downey dying with air farce having been off the air for six or seven years 22 minutes not being the impact that it was corner gas having had its movie ending a couple of years ago mm-hmm. there is a particular generation that was not necessarily transitionary but that was sort of like our our generation's era of canadiana where I'm sure, whether you're a fan or not, we all grew up aware of who Stuart McLean was yeah. and probably listened to Vinyl Cafe, maybe yeah. with our parents at some point. All of us have at least heard a Tragically Hip song on the radio and gone, yeah, that's a Canadian thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, these shows that we all would be familiar with, I don't know that you would know. I, I think you'd have a hard time finding a Canadian between the ages of 20 and 30 that had never seen an episode of Corner Gas. Yeah. Our generation's yeah. Canadiana is dying off. And it's being... And, up by something new. and mm. I, I at least am not really familiar with the next generation mm-hmm. of that. And I think yeah, that some, see, but that's the thing is that I, even though we're very, very similar in age, uh, I wouldn't uh, consider that. And again, I'm, I'm really only coming at it from music, but musically, I don't perceive that our, our generation's Canadiana is dying, dying off 
No, I don't. I agree with me as well. Which is where I, I think this becomes interesting and kind of ties yeah. into genre, because the kind of Canadian musicians that I think of immediately, I very much acknowledge as a generation out of date. But I think of people like the Tragically Hip or Matthew Good or uh, Our Lady Ugh. Peace or, and I appreciate that this is also all that kind yeah. of post alt rock scene, which I was a big fan of and still enjoy. That you guys may not oh. have been. Oh, I, I, I and I, I, I really, I did too. Um, I hate Dave Matthews so much. I, Dave Matthews and Matthew Good are not the same person. Or, no, sorry, not Dave Matthews. I meant to say <laughs> Matt Good. I hate Dave Matthews too, so like, it's easy for me to get them confused. My, my thing Matt is, Good's though, a piece of shit. Because, well, anyway, uh, his persona when he was with the Matt Good band very much was, but he was also untreated for bipolar disorder. Oh, that would make a lot of sense. And he has been on meds for about a decade and got fat and a lot more friendly. Oh. Uh, so I feel moderately guilty then. Um, he actually he had a mental breakdown over the recording of their band's last okay, album. Okay, then I feel like 100% guilty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, anyways, my, my, my point was that I, I've never been fond of indie music. Um, uh. I I like Metric. I, I will listen to them, but like bands of that stature are about within that scene are about as far as I go in terms of its understanding. And the sort of heavier rock... Uh, bluesy end of that has kind of been dying off in the past five to ten years rock, in Canada. Well, I mean, rock in general. Yeah, that's that's like, just that's not changing. Not a Canadian phenomenon. No, no, no. But I, I mean, the, the Canadian like rock bands that I was interested in would again be more of that era of the Tragically Hip and Our Lady Peace and Company. Yeah. Um, um, and he, because yeah. I don't, I no offense, I don't listen to like I've listened to your show a few times, but I, that's not no, really the the kind of genre no, of music that I dig. I'm actually so. really disappointed that in all this Canadian music talk, the Headstones have not come up yet. Good point. Uh, or hardcore logo. All if guy. anybody ever saw, you yeah. never saw. Hard, okay, so Hardcore Logo was a movie featuring the Headstones. Like they were the band, this fake band called Hardcore Logo that Quentin Tarantino saw and decided he needed to have his name on it, and that's mm-hmm. why people anybody knows what Hardcore Logo is. It was a cool movie. Uh, it is a cool movie. It's a terrible play. Uh, there is a musical play that is garbage. Um, but the, yeah, the yeah, Headstones, Headstones was my, great one of my of first. Canadian band like I, in, like oh this is Nickels good. for Your Nightmares that's mm-hmm. a fantastic album I wonder how well it holds up pretty well actually um, but I wanted to so we've all kind of tackled this from or kind of approached this from a different angles like of music or like televised or can lit um, and like I find it there was a point where I wanted to mention Jesse Brown and Canada Land because like I appreciate his like critique of being Canadian has always been something I really appreciated, but I'll, like this question is very much inspired by him. So I'll just like throw it sure. out there. Uh, so my question is, does the CBC have a relevant place in this discussion anymore? And like, I, I love the CBC. I, un- I love it for what it represents and the value it has for some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, I understand it, the importance of public broadcasting, but that doesn't mean I necessarily love the CBC as it is. Um, <laughs> Do they have a relevant place in the discussion of like Canadian fiction? Yes. Or are they better suited producing news content and informative content and leaving that the task of creating Canadian entertainment to others? I think they should be doing both. I think they yeah. are not really doing either. Mm. 
um, what the CBC should be and what they are. Um, and I, that's not even necessarily at the fault of the CBC. No, no, no. You can absolutely lay a lot of that on, at the feet of the previous federal government, government. who yeah. had a, an explicit, like they had the knives out for the CBC from yeah. day one. So um, I'm not, I, this is not meant as a, a critique necessarily of the CBC. No, no. And, that, and I think but, that's fair. Uh, I mean, this, this is something that has often been brought up uh, in some of the sources that I read, but particularly the Globe and Mail's television guy has been uh, harping on this for as long as I can think of having read the Globe, so at least 10 or 15 years, um, that the CBC is really, it frequently drops the ball, and when they do have something that could be a success or is a local success, mm. they will make a decision that ends up screwing that over. And the example which pops to my head, which you guys probably wouldn't have ever seen, uh, was a legal drama that aired around 2003 and 2004 uh, called This is Wonderland. Um, which my, so I my, remember this. My dad was a, a private practice family lawyer for 25 years, and this was the only time in my life that we've ever been watching a show and that they've done something to do with courts and the law where he goes, like, I've, I've, I had that exact conversation with a judge once. Um, but around the same era, there was also a really cool, uh, uh, like, spy kind of show called Intelligence, which was set in the Lower Mainland and around Vancouver and on Vancouver Island which was about a drug pin, a, a, like pot lord in Vancouver, uh, who turned uh, an informant for CSIS, hmm. which was a really interestingly handled show. Uh, and again, only lasted for two seasons. That was around the time the CBC went on strike. And, Interesting. But um, that's kind of the last shows that anybody, that like particularly John Doyle, the guy from The Globe, that mm-hmm. I can think of, that they really did well, that was a, a Canadian-centric Canadian-focused show on the CBC. Yeah. And since then, they've kind of moved over to hockey and the news, and occasionally doing uh, something a little bit more interesting. Like there was a, a, a female-centric cowboy show called Stranger um, uh, Strange Empire. Yeah, a couple Netflix years back that only it? lasted for a season because nobody watched it and it wasn't promoted. Um, and otherwise, they do really banal stuff. They've got you know this hour is twenty-two minutes and it's umpteenth mm-hmm. season. Rick Mercer report, which these are all fun, but it's not. Oh no, I think Rick Mercer needs to go away. That show needs to be something else. Either way, my point being that these are safe oh. things. And Mia looks Is like Mia she wants to things? say something. I, but I don't know if we can't hear her. Oh, Mia, you may not have unmuted yourself. Sorry, after. I, I forgot to unmute myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, Rick Mercer to me is such a late 90s, early 2000s thing that it's always kind of a shock to realize he's still. That he's still around. Why? Yeah. Um, things I don't like, understand. like with The Simpsons. You're like, oh, you're still doing that, huh? Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, same with, um, this is perfect because like, we're going to like do this in kind of a different order, but I'm going to bring it up. Who gives a fuck about Green Gables? Seriously. Do we need another Anne of Green Gables? No, No, this was the gritty reboot of Anne of Green Gables. (laughs) So also a, a, a streaming one as well no that the the cbc one is also on netflix yeah so um and and with an e is done by the lady who was one of the more prolific directors of uh breaking bad yes because there was a big controversy about how they had like de-gingered her no she's still a redhead no i know but like on the posters she was like the freckles were yeah, I've seen all I've seen has been fre- or has been posters, and it just said Anne. It didn't say Anne with an E, so I was confused whether there yeah, were two shows and there like, there are two shows. Like there are two incarnations, but the CBC one is definitely on Netflix. Uh, but who gives a fuck? Like, uh, how many times yeah. do we have to see this this story played out? And I get the sure. Well, I, I guess mean, it's... may I also say, how many times do we need to see Uncle Ben die? Or the in Wayans? order for Peter Parker to mm-hmm. become Spider Man. 
He's not in the new movie. They're not doing that again, are they? I think we're going to take a like well, a slight distraction. Know. They can't be doing that again. Uh, but that's the thing is like, I would say that uh, that's not, I mean, you're right. And I'm not like, I, I, hmm. I'm a, I'm a West coaster at this point. I grew up in Alberta. I don't give a shit about tables. <laughs> it's an Eastern thing. And I'm okay. the musical. That is perfect. Crazy. You're, 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 you're giving me gold, Jerry gold. Um, <laughs> Is this conversation tough to have because of the vast geographical differences between us all? And here's my like other segue into this. It's Green Gables for sure because you're right. It's very much an East Coast thing, and it's I don't get Atlantic that shit. Canada thing. Yeah. Um, I have like fallen in a weird kind of love with Letter Kenny, um, and I think it's because I grew up with those people. Like that's the the environment that I grew up around, and I don't feel that it's like viscerally making fun of them. It doesn't make them jerks. Uh, one of the main characters is in a polyamorous relationship for the first season, which and that nobody in one of the like the main character's sister is in a polyamorous relationship with two hockey players, and nobody says anything about it. Like it's the most normal thing in the world, um, and it just the things they say really make me laugh. Like the little like rural isms but i was talking about this with a buddy of mine who's from newfoundland small town newfoundland yeah. and i was like have you seen this show and he says yeah i've seen it like do you connect with it in like a similar level that i do he's like no it's too landlocked like it's too yeah. it's too like dirt farmer right it was like yeah. awesome okay great that's really interesting um yeah. is it tough for us to develop an identity because we're such a small group of people spread out over a really vast land mass yeah, kind of. I think part of, I mean, like, I don't know that it's impossible, but I think, uh, yes, there, that's definitely a component. There are variations. Yeah. And I mean, there's variations in America, too. You've got, like, your West Coast and your East Coast mm -hmm. and the Midwest and the South and whatever. Canada kind of has that, too, but you're right. We've got a tenth of the population, right. and we've got a bigger landmass. A lot more We're space. The second largest country on the planet um and as the arrogant worms said and the <laughs> rock just keeps on thinking shrinking the, soon will be first literally when you said that in my head i went if russia keeps on yeah shrinking, <laughs> then will be first uh the arrogant worms were are were are uh sort of the canadian weird al sure i mean it's not par it's rarely parody music they're just they're a novelty band yeah they're a novelty band but they've um, got I, that i have seen yeah. live in concert more than twice yeah that's about right um but uh yeah but there really are um like like i don't know about you but i don't hear any acadian fiddle music around here ever <laughs> Nope, can't say and that that's I have. Like a very, very big deal over in the east, where the Acadians developed their their whole thing. Um, but and it's also really funny because, like, in the uh, I mean, again, I'm a huge indie scene fan, but uh, you can always tell I, I've gotten very good in the same way that I'm I'm actually very good at uh, identifying a breed of dog because my mom yeah. was a dog trainer. I'm usually pretty good at like eight. Eight to nine times out of ten, if I play a thing, if I play a band, I can be like, these guys are from Toronto. I can identify a man by his accent within two street, two counties, two streets yeah, if he's from the I city. Can identify, I can identify a self-important indie band by the nearest 
nexus point, like large city hub. So uh, you're the Henrietta Higgins of Canadian music is what you're telling me. Decently. Yeah. But you can usually tell that's the thing is you can yeah. tell, you can tell, uh, there, there's a West coast influence. There is a Toronto influence. There mm-hmm. is a Montreal influence and, you can just kind of know. You're like, yep, Metric is definitely from Toronto. Stars is from Montreal. The Deers are from Montreal. Mother Mother's from Vancouver. Like, <laughs> It's like SoCal versus know. Gangster Rap. Like, yep. You can yeah. tell like, the Run yeah. DMCs <laughs> from the Wu-Tang Clan. Atlanta, Atlanta hip-hop versus like yeah, East Coast hip-hop. You can kind of yeah. tell. Um, speaking of Atlanta and mostly America that was that was terrible that's not the best segue we've had so far today and some of them have been good that's okay America's uh, been hovering on the outskirts of our conversation this entire time waiting to crash in through the wall like so an, uh, this is how I want to bring them in um, some people I've always found to be really good at making fun of Canada um, oh I have such a specifically uh, I think that Trey Parker and Matt Stone are really really good at it Oh my god. I went on a fucking overseas trip when I was 18 years old. I was three, one of three Canadians on a bus of 45 people. And every time they're like, oh, you're from Canada? And then they would make fun of my accent. And then they would sing Blame Canada at me. Oh, I I, I think of more over of like the only again. road in Canada. Uh, yeah. French anyway, Canada yeah, is the best Canada. Very, very good at, at I think that. they're great at mocking Canada. Uh, I've always found Mike Judge to be particularly shitty at it. Um, it's the only King of the Hill episode I don't like is sure. the one where he gets Canadian neighbors. Uh, Paul, do you have thoughts on this? You, k- kind of. I have... <laughs> Lay him on me, baby. Well, I was thinking more about the other end of this, um, but that's more than enough time. This. No, we got, all, we, we, we got 15 minutes. Well, what I was going to say is that we've been talking a lot about Canada in opposition to the United States. We haven't talked at all about Canada in uh, appreciation of the United Kingdom. Faulty mm. Towers, all of this. So all of, a lot of what you guys have been talking about, particularly Anne of Green Gables, is a very East Coast thing. Mm-hmm. But it's also yeah. very um, British romantic idea yeah. of what Canada is. And that's not to say it wasn't written by a Canadian yeah, or that it's not set in Canada, but that is very much in that tradition of British romanticization of the frontier. Okay. You're right. And so they're all kind of... Mia says that America has been waiting to uh, hovering at the edges to kick in the door. I kind of feel like there's also the reason why they're hovering around the edges is that Canada's on the other end of the house about to open the door for the UK <laughs> and they're not paying attention yeah. because uh, I mean, within our parents' lifetimes, um, Canadians were automatically still British citizens, even as yeah. we, that only yeah. got taken away in the sixties. Like yeah. my dad could still yeah. apply for that if he wanted to, uh, cause he was born before then. And, um, it hasn't been Canada Day for very long. Well, let's even put it this way: um, Who here knew somebody growing up that was obsessed with Coronation Street? I know yeah. someone who. I still know someone who's. All three of us are putting Street. up yeah. our hands for the yeah. listener at home. Everyone's raising their hand. So, why I is that? I don't even that? know what Coronation Street is. It's a thing really? I don't watch and other people do. I've never seen an episode, but I know what it is I entirely exactly through osmosis, it and it's been on the air for like forty-five years. Yeah. Also, people like really like uh, call the midwife. Faulty Towers. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Python. but I, I mean, like I I grew up with Faulty Towers a little bit. But, the Dwarf, Red um, Dwarf, Red Dwarf, like so all of I these. Like, but yeah, the Canadians are there's that whole CanCon thing. Like we can't have the Americans coming in, and yeah. we can't have American cultural appropriation or cultural uh, export be too much of a presence. But 
love on British sitcoms and TV yeah. and soap operas and music and culture and movies and tea time. My grandparents absolutely loved yeah. uh, As Time Goes By. I mean, and... I want to say no, but then I also lived in Victoria for eight years. <laughs> and I, I would also say, um, coming from Matt's perspective of having grown up here, your perspective as somebody who spent a lot of time in both the coast and uh, Alberta, yeah. Um, as someone who spent most of the first 20 years of their life in Victoria, Alberta and Edmonton in, in particular have a really, really different cultural feel too. Yeah. And Letterkenny yeah. does nothing for me. Oh, I love it. Yeah. But there are there are things that I connect with in that same kind of way. So mm. Intelligence, that show I mentioned before, was one that really gripped with me because it's the first time I'd ever seen Vancouver on TV as Vancouver. Um, and uh, there was a, yeah. a sci-fi show called uh, Continuum, same deal, was set yeah, in Vancouver. Yeah. And I liked that more than a lot of people that I've spoken to from Alberta because they they don't they don't know the city. It's not. Um, but yeah. I just I, I feel like we spent all of today really talking about in opposition to America. And that's why I was hesitating to bring anything up because I kind of wanted this could be its own thing almost. But uh, I just I think that's an underappreciated aspect of the Canadian identity from our generation was Canada's identity was like a nicer, folksier version of England. Yeah. yeah. Next time on Drink This Podcast. Name the British sitcom. Are you being served? <laughs> Madly off yeah. in all directions. Oh no, that was that was Canadian. Uh, yes, Minister. Yes, Minister. Yeah. Um, the woman who was like obsessed, keeping up appearances. Mm -hmm. Da Vinci's Inquest was Canadian. Da Vinci's yep, Inquest was Canadian actually in, in Vancouver. It was filmed in Vancouver, oh. but I don't think it was set there. I never. I, I would only ever see it on the TV guide so, channel. Here's a, a fun thing, which and be I, like, ah, oh, that's I, a thing I'm not going to watch. I might have been the only people that actually watched this, but if anybody watched the show Fringe in season two or three, they moved from New York to Vancouver. And in season three, the alternate universe's Fringe headquarters is the downtown Vancouver Public Library. <laughs> Sorry. Because it, it's a really distinctive uh, building. And the first time I saw it, I'm like, I, I ordered a, a Starbucks in there once. Well, BSG, like Battlestar Galactica yeah. is all Vancouver. <laughs> Stargate SG-1, too. All yeah. of that is the Lower Mainland, or once yeah, every now and then in the interior. Park for a while. I, um, I want to hear what Mia had to say about uh, other, uh, other cultures making fun of Canada. Yeah. Okay, so I'm still uh, obsessed with that anime, Yuri on Ice. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's about it's about figure skaters. Um, there is a an American, so main character is a Japanese figure skater. There's a, a Russian guy. Um, but as they go through the, comp the Grand Prix yeah. competition, there is an American figure skater and there is a Canadian figure skater that this main character competes against. One of them is a genuinely sweet like cinnamon bun of a kid who's skating to music that he likes just because he likes it and he's such a kind little kid and uh and he you know when he when he fails he is just like, you know, people you know, but people saw what I was wanting to communicate and I, I was so happy and then the other one is an arrogant piece of shit that everyone hates he has <laughs> own uh he has his own like uh, gesture that he does and it you know he he has commissioned his own uh the anthem called K theme of king jj that he skates to <laughs> everyone uh sings along even though he's in moscow <laughs> and uh, and he's just generally like a really arrogant asshole that absolutely everyone hates until the very last second when the show, because it's pretty well written, like yeah. pulls in on our heartstrings about it. And he's the Canadian one. <laughs> and he's wearing like a, 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 
a Canadian Tire jacket. He is yes. sponsored by Canadian Tire. Like, and all of the Canadian fans I know of this show are like, what the fuck did we do to this creator? <laughs> like, I appreciate that because the, the American kid is uh, Latino. Oh, right that's, on. Pretty, that's pretty awesome. Like, you know, yeah. and it is, it's really, really nice representation and everything. But then I was just like, this character, like, flo- like everyone on Earth is like, oh, you know, Canadians were super nice. We're very polite, blah, blah, but blah. But this and kid's a fucking dick. DJ, who's a huge fucking dick. <laughs> I don't know where it came from, but it really amuses mm. me. <laughs> so um, on that note, I did actually have something to say on the portrayals of Canadian and other yes, things. Like this. I, I wanted to say that if we're going to talk about it before I forgot. Uh, so as either or maybe neither of you may be aware, I recently sat down and rewatched the original run of Twin Peaks before the We've premiere last week. It, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so something that I thought was really interesting for a show uh, which was huge, particularly in its first season, though I don't know if the Canadians started to appear until the second. But anyways, the, the setting of the show uh, is a place a couple of miles south of the Canadian border on the far northeast uh, border of Washington State. So basically south of, like, B.C., maybe southern Alberta. Um, yeah. And there are a number of Canadian characters that show up, and, and they end up crossing into Canada on more than one occasion. But the part of the province they would be coming into, if it was BC, would be like Osoyoos, which is to say <laughs> desert. Yeah. Or uh, if it was in southern Alberta, would be the High Plains, like Medicine yeah. Hat yeah. kind of area. All of the Canadian characters are uh, stereotypes of villainous Quebecois men. <laughs> um, and yeah. when they cross into Canada, uh, the territory is essentially identical to the wet, rainy, mountainous Pacific Northwest setting that they have in Washington State. Uh-huh. And I thought that was really interesting because... From an exoticism perspective, perfect sense. Yeah. Have the friend, the yeah. guy was the re, the Renault, tw- uh, three Renault brothers who were villainous Quebecois men, drug dealers and running of whorehouses and all of this, uh, and a casino, which they apparently think that French guys can own casinos in Canada. <laughs> uh, uh, bearing in mind this was 1990, so I think this is playing on some of this as well. But that's the flip of that stereotype of Canadians. It's either the really nice person with the faux Midwest, the Montana yeah. accent. Who's well, really, it's more like North Dakota. Really like nice, eh? Um, Midwest, yeah. Or yeah. the villainous Quebecois. I uh, yeah. I always loved Trey Parker and Matt Stone. There's a character in the movie who's French, and I always imagine he's Quebecois, like because he yeah. hates God. Like he's constantly talking about much how much he hates God. I was like, you're a fucking Quebecer. Um, yeah. And I've always been super happy about uh, Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier on Smodcast will frequently do stories about Canadians, mostly Canadians getting attacked by bears and surviving. Yeah. Um, but like they did a whole episode on the maple syrup heist, like guys were stealing yeah. maple syrup. Yeah. And the name of the investigating officer was Gila Point, who is like the nephew of the hockey player Gila Point, And he met another guy. Uh, and they also did a whole episode on the... Um, the Gimli glider, like this plane that ran out of fuel. Yeah, and like I know that story really well. Yeah. Oh my God, their <laughs> their Canadian accents are just just delightfully naive. It's adorable. <laughs> like uh, they're exactly I, what I want a fake Canadian accent to be. I literally just flipped over to Twitter to check something, and Vulture dot com has a, an article from May fifteenth that is called "Rock Isn't Dead; It Just Moved to Canada." <laughs> Where can you go if not New York? Uh, the new pornographers, metric, arcade fire. Oh, we forgot arcade about fire. arcade fire. Broken social scene, the weaker thens, Japan droid. It's the relative familiarity of their sound to American ears helped conceal the fact that collectively their ears or their their success amounted to a full-on invasion. 
Though never announced as such, this peaceful offensive met little resistance. <laughs> well, the other one that I, I forgot to mention earlier was, of course, all of the very well-known dual citizen actors who are from Canada. Donald Sutherland. Well, Donald yep. Sutherland, uh, Jim Carrey. Uh, Mike Myers. Mike Myers. Um, Mike, oh, yep. I can't think of his name now. He, he, you watched Arrested Development, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the old family friend that's the bodybuilder they throw at him. He's, I think he was on SNL. Fuck, I can't oh. think of his name now. I'm oh. get, this is gonna, do you guys know? I, the audience won't know. Do you guys know who yeah. I'm talking about? Thanks. I'm just so. going to look this up. Um, Anyways, um, or even for those very fond of genre, a lot of people are shocked that Nathan Fillion's from Edmonton. Yeah. I mean, Castle oh, yeah. was one of the bigger shows in the States for a while. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like you watch, uh, that's, that's the, the great thing about all these CW shows and Battlestar Galactica mm -hmm. and Fringe, like all these ones that are filmed in Vancouver, all the day players show up. Yeah, in all of them. Yeah, like, ditto for the X Files. Stuff. That's why you Ryan know, Reynolds is a chubby kid in the X Files. Ryan Reynolds is a chubby kid in the X Files, and that Martin whole Short. first, that whole, oh, fir oh yeah, that, yeah, that whole first like big uh, fight scene in Deadpool takes place on the yeah. viaduct, uh, and. Um, and yeah, and and uh, but like Hilo, well, Ryan Reynolds is also from Vancouver. Yeah, he is. Yeah, uh, but like Tom O'Pennicott, who played uh, Hilo in in BSG, showed up in Supernatural. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and there's all, a yeah, whole like, regular cast of characters. Even the yeah. two shows that I referenced earlier, yeah. um, Eric Peterson, who played uh, Brent Butt's dad on yeah. Corner Gas, yeah. was one of the main judges on. This is Wonderland, and the guy who is the main character in Intelligence has shown up in almost every Canadian film or production you will ever see. The guy who plays the hippie selling uh, Cal Penn weed in Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, yeah. he's also the lead in The Delicate Art of Parking, which is an amazing Canadian movie, by the way, if you've never oh, seen it. Um, and speaking of Canadian movies, what 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 say you two of the fact that Bon Cop, Bad Cop is getting a sequel? A sequel? I'm so I mean, happy. Yeah, it's pretty it's awesome. It's going to be so bad, but I'm so looking forward to it. I loved that movie. I actually rewatched that on Netflix recently. It was so bad, and it was so okay. much fun. I love uh, American Partner, and I love him. And he's will. I mean, he's already started going kosher. Like, this is a guy who's going to be Jewish for me. But I was so excited about the Bon Cop, Bad Cop sequel, and I was trying to explain to him why... And I don't think he'll ever get it. No. Those who Bob did not grow up with the rhetoric of the two solitudes. It's um, it's it's like Lil Sebastian. Like everybody has yeah. their Lil Sebastian. Yeah. Uh, uh, and like I think Lil Sebastian is a great example of like regional fandom, right? Where Adam Scott yeah. doesn't fucking get it. So in Parks yeah. and Rec, mm -hmm. in the town, there's a, a miniature pony that everybody in town is obsessed with obsessed when it dies they take like a week off everybody in town yeah. to like throw it apart they organize like a town-wide vigil yeah yeah but adam scott isn't from pawnee he doesn't he is mystified by this he's like yeah. i think we've talked about this recently maybe not on the air we but... did but let's not revisit that conversation no. it's so, super offensive um, I, I would actually also just point out since i know mia's on a bit yeah of a we gotta line, we gotta wrap this up soon no, we, yeah I, I can say a little bit further beyond but yeah okay well let's um I, I feel good about everything that got mentioned today. No, right. that that was what I was going to oh. say. Is it's almost nine o'clock, and that was. Our... Oh, okay, fair enough. All right, I feel good about. Yeah. We uh, had everything in the docket. I'm super happy. Hooray. Um, let's do sad when it's over. Who wants to start? Um, I I can go. Okay, why doesn't Paul start? Because I've already actually touched on what I I wanted to talk about. Um, in a, a couple of respects. Um, 
in this case, it's more I will be sad when it's over. Uh, but I've watched the first four episodes of the new Twin Peaks, uh, which premiered yeah, on Sunday night, oh, I think. Is it yeah. like, has David Lynch just gone full David Lynch? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This Excellent. is so yeah. Twin Peaks, the TV show, the first run is not the new Twin Peaks. Um, okay. It is like if somebody put uh, the prequel movie, if, have either of you guys ever seen Firewalk with me? No. No, it's been recommended to okay. me, but. Um, I mean, if you like David Lynch, you'll enjoy it. If you like Twin Peaks, yeah. um, so the new Twin Peaks is like if you put uh, Firewalk with me, Eraserhead, and <laughs> uh, Stranger Things in a blender. Yes. And uh, and and then uh, had Angelo Badalamenti score it and David Lynch direct it. Yes. And um, it's it's weird as fuck. Uh, it, by episode it. four, it starts to feel a bit like the original Twin Peaks again. Interesting. Um, but like, there's a straight up uh, sexy teens monster murder in the first episode. Excellent. I I just read an article about like it was pre the release of Twin of the new season, but it had been like, hey guys, um, Twin Peaks has been really fetishized, and I think you need to rewatch it before you watch the new one and get really disappointed because you have to remember it was made by young David Lynch, and now David Lynch is old and fucking weirder than he was when he was young. Like he's got less fucks to give than he did now than he did then. Good. So it was like a show kind of made by people who didn't know how to sustain a narrative for that. Also, David Lynch stopped being directly involved on in season two. He said he never watched the rest of season two. I haven't done because it's unwatchable. I disagree. Yeah, I would strongly disagree with that assertion. But the thing is that once once the Laura Palmer thing ended up getting wrapped up, Lynch's intention was for that never to have been solved. Yeah, um, and I, I will say there is a murder very early on into the first episode of the new one, and yeah. that there's a damn good possibility that never gets explained. Good. Nice. Um, good. So what I would say is that for those who enjoy David Lynch's oeuvre, which Mia, having enjoyed Southland Tales, I think very... Me too, I've, for that matter. I, I fucking love his stuff. That weirdo, yeah. surrealist, psychological shit is lots of fun. Um, yeah. But, like, it's a weird, weird show. Um the first four episodes of this way more so than the original uh but i'm i'm almost wishing i hadn't started it until all 18 episodes were done yeah. because lynch has said that he's directing every episode of this as right. well as being a, acting in it um but he said that this is meant to be viewed as a uh, an 18 hour movie as opposed to a season of a tv uh-huh. show and so there was one review that i read of the first four episodes the first two aired uh, live and then showtime streamed the other two and we'll air them next week and then right. we'll notice one a week from then on um but that if you were to view this as the first like small section of a, a movie, this would be like 20 minutes in. Yeah. And so it's, it's just, it's David Lynch. So there's a like 15 minute, barely dialogue present scene with weird, like somebody in a, a another reality or something and having glitched backwards looped conversations and movements and uh, like not, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, but I, I love that kind of shit. So yeah. I'm really enjoying it and I'm going to be really sad when it's done. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing more. Um, and it was kind of funny when I finished that. Um, I think it was last night or the night before on a friend's recommendation. I started watching Riverdale. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, good. So say. here's the thing. I'm six <laughs> episodes in and I'm starting to get disappointed in it because yeah, because it, they're, it's, it's- promises a lot more david lynch than it delivers exactly they set it up oh with, really i'm they, only two episodes in. they are explicitly like they use um they used a, a, a sample from a survivor song who are the guys that did the soundtrack to stranger things um barb from yeah. stranger things plays a similar character in riverdale yeah. uh they've got explicit what references to ethel oh right yeah she is. yeah um 
there's there's an explicit set of framing shots in the first couple of episodes where they've got the really popular high school guy that gets murdered. Yeah. And um, there's a framing shot of his picture in a trophy case, which is almost a shot-for-shot remake of the picture of Laura Palmer and the Twin Peaks High School. I didn't realize it was that. Oh no! So it's it's very reference. It's very influenced by both Stranger Things and the original Twin Peaks. But what's funny about this is that they promise a lot more weirdness than there is. And watching this, watching like half the season in one go, I'm going, well, okay, this is kind of quirky and it's operating on a similar premise of wholesome small town America. Maybe isn't so wholesome. But that's about as far as they go. Twin Peaks, I, the original, was weird be, and quirky, yeah. and the new one's not. And but it is just David Lynch batshit crazy. Well, the thing about uh, because like I stopped watching Riverdale, and people will be like, "Are you caught up?" I was like, "No," because I I too like I, I watched the first three episodes, and I wanted I was so intrigued. I was like, "Yeah, it's baby, it's baby Twin Peaks with hot mm-hmm. people, and mm-hmm. nowhere near the amount of daring because it's not David Lynch, but like." But oh the, yeah, all the of the people in the show are incredibly good looking. Yeah, and they're very hot. Um, I also love that it breaks the CW mold, mold of yeah. powered person leads band of misfits to solve crimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I, I you know and it does a lot of really good stuff, but it the first two or three episodes just promise this beautiful like mm-hmm. pervasive sense of dread and like. Un- well, and also just know, weirdness. I was waiting for weirdness, something supernatural to happen. And weirdness, and it just. Never it's not going to. It turns happened. into a CD, a CW soap opera. It does, and and yeah. I was yeah. Um, I uh, all right. Well, uh, my. Well, does Mia go? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I that guess... took longer than it meant to. It's okay. No, no, no. That's cool. Um, my sad when it's over. I guess is also one that's going to be in trans. Like, because I'm I'm going to be sad when it is over. Yeah. Which is, I am. Uh, I whipped through all four episodes so far of American Gods and it's oh, yeah. fucking amazing. I am 150 pages out from finishing the book. It's very good. Like I, I read the book years and years and years ago mm-hmm. uh, and I pulled it off my shelf to like start referencing a couple things, but yeah, I love Brian Fuller who is the showrunner for yeah. the, for, what else does he, what else has God. he been involved in? Hannibal. Uh, Dead Hannibal. like me, Hannibal, Wonderfalls, Pushing yeah. Daisies, okay. all kinds of great shows. Like he just makes very good TV, and he yeah. has definitely learned from Hannibal. <laughs> he just pulled over, like, like he when when he when Hannibal got canceled, the 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 fake blood subscription service that he was like a premium member of called. <laughs> him, like, hey, do you want to cancel your subscription? And he went, no, no. I'm good. I have a new thing. <laughs> I got ideas. <laughs> I have ideas. But, uh, yeah, I, and I said this on my radio show earlier uh, today. I, w- I remember when American Gods was announced as a TV show, and yeah. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. this will never happen, but I'm excited that it was picked up as a TV show because it got picked uh-huh. up even before Game of Thrones did. Yeah, like, and it's been it a long time earlier, coming. It was one of the earlier times. Like, it was a big novelty that it wasn't going to be a movie. It was going to be a TV show, TV and show. now we know that TV show is the way to go for yeah. novels. <clears throat> I've also been told that Gaiman's involvement in it is strictly so that he can get the Sandman produced. <laughs> like his main goal in producing American <laughs> Gods is to like is to do the Sandman. And um, holy fuck yeah. if he's that involved in that, it's going to be amazing. But but yeah, so so American Gods uh, so far, four episodes in, has mm. not only been a very good uh, adaptation of the book, but it's really improved on it in a lot of ways. The most recent episode is all about Laura Moon, the wife. Yeah. And it gives her a backstory that did not exist in the book mm, um, other than she had an affair and then died Yeah, other than she had an affair 
Um, and yeah, so it's 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 really well written, uh, well directed. Everybody, Dane Cook shows up and is so not loathsome that I didn't even know. Who does he was, play? He plays the person she has an affair with. The, oh, gross! Really? But he's so unloathsome that I had no idea it was him until someone else like pointed it out. I was Orlando really hoping we were going to be. He was. He's a Nazi. Orlando Who? Jones. Orlando Jones. Oh, has okay. an amazing, he shows up on a slave ship and he has this absolutely phenomenal uh, monologue about how, like, y'all are about to be fucked anyway. <laughs> oh, um, like the, is, so they do, they do the twins then, the, the, the twins that were sold by their uncle. There's, it's a whole slave ship. Um, and like, and so everything in the book is kind of ramped up. Um, okay. Jillian Anderson plays media. She, the first time we've seen her, she's doing, she, she's, she's imitating. I love Lucy. Yeah. yeah. It's very, very good. I like everything you're describing. I literally it's just really read, and I'm getting very excited about it. Yeah. So yeah, um, I'm going to be nice. sad when that's over. Uh, I like. I was going to say I'm about 50 pages out from finishing American Gods, and I don't want it to be done. We can, you can say that, too. Um, but I've also started playing music again. Uh, I haven't picked up my guitar in years, and I took it in to get repaired. And I will lose time sitting in my apartment picking away at my guitar uh i'm sure my neighbors hate me but i'm always sad when i have to be done doing that so yeah i'll say i've been playing music again and i'm pretty happy about it um if you we've, we've covered a lot of ground today mm-hmm. uh, and there was yeah. like there was a big piece of ground that i'm going to save for another time that we didn't even get to um if you want to weigh in on any of this if you want to like jump into our conversation if you want to like just tweet at us and tell us you like the show you hate the show uh we're always open 24 7 on twitter to accept your unsolicited <laughs> advice uh and critique um we might not reply or read it but... oh no we'll read it and you'll be made fun of you'll promptly be eviscerated by us uh so when somebody actually decides to do that I, i've got i've got bits in in mind uh we are at drink this pod instagram twitter facebook at drink this pod is uh, mm-hmm. where you can find us it's more than just an untapped listing these days it is I'm, paul's I'm, been killing it lately. i've been doing social media stuff um Yay. you can get the website uh drink or screaming where you can also find uh some other podcasts that uh some or one or all or both of us are involved mm-hmm. in uh, in working on, including the Alberta Craft Beer Guidecast. Uh, Paul, where can people find you? At Igor Zarubo, I-D-O-R is at A-R-U-B-O. Mia? Uh, at Mia Steinberg, M-I-A-S-T-E-I-N-B-E-R-G. And I am personally um, at Slingsbot. Um, yeah. Mia, we touched on your radio show, but before we wrap everything up, Tell people what it is you do and where they can listen to it if they want. Oh so yeah, uh, and and it is linked on my uh, Twitter account. But uh, yeah, I have a, sh- a weekly show on CITR at UBC called Particles and Waves that airs every Tuesday from two to three p.m. or whenever you would like uh, via the nifty podcast option that you, you can download it. Uh, and yeah, it's a whole bunch of indie music that Paul hates. Um, so if you if you're curious as to some of the things that mia has talked about on today's episode likely you'll hear some of them played on her show so i felt it was important to get that Mm -hmm. plug in there kitty yeah now i've got a very hungry cat oh kitty um 
well, this has been good. It's uh, been good to reconvene. Look for us to reconvene again soon for the next Drink This Pod Watches, mm-hmm. which I am very mm-hmm. excited to Me do. Too. What's What, what are, we, are we doing? Um, if you guys are still game, I finished rereading Inherent Vice a couple weeks ago so I can say nasty things about the movie in relation. Or sure. good things. Excellent. So the next time the three of us get together, Drink This Pod Watches Inherent Vice, look for that coming soon. soon-ish, maybe. Um, until next time, I have been Matt. I've been Paul. I've been Mia. And we will drink with you again soon.